Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Got to warn you guys that uh, the grand plan to have a bunch of guests on every week may be getting waylaid a bit by uh, very sick children here. I guess that's just sort of what happens. Life. It's set. It's a jug. It's a jigsaw puzzle with like 54,000 pieces and like maybe eight of them fit together. But we figure it out. Anyway, hi everybody. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. I don't know what day of the week it is, but I do know it's November 1st. Is it Tuesday? Holy crap, it's only Tuesday. The week has just begun. But it's a new month. October is in the books. You can wrap it up. NBA season's start has come and gone. We're over two weeks into it now. I guess we're exactly two weeks into it now. But from a fantasy standpoint, we've had a day in the third week. That's also happened. That's a thing. Sure. Why the hell not? And we're just sort of trucking along, you know? We're getting it all done, whatever the hell we got to do. I'm cooked, man. I'm cooked. Not from the fantasy side. I'm actually having a really good time on with the fantasy stuff. Uh, I remember last year, a few of our guys got off to really slow starts. This year, I think Al Horford is pretty much the only one. And it's been a real slow start for him. I'm not, you know, no sugarcoating that. He's been extraordinarily quiet. Lucky part is, he hasn't really been straight up bad in any one particular category. He's just been kind of quiet across the board. Dude hasn't even shot a free throw yet this year. That's how quiet he's been. 0.6 blocks, zero steals. I'm not going to do a rant on Big Al, but I will say that a lot of this stuff feels ripe for a turnaround. He's actually shot the ball better from three-point land. But, you know, when you get that you know, 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7 steals, whatever it is, and a little over a block, things change pretty quickly. I would love about one more assist per game. And I do believe that his scoring will also trend up just a little bit. But this is not the Al Horford show because he didn't even play yesterday. Boston didn't even play. We had a seven-game Monday, and it was actually kind of eventful. So we'll go through that piece by piece. Also, hi, good morning, everyone. I am Dan Bespris. Appreciate you guys all tuning in here. We settle into the swing of a regular season. Uh, Reminder to everybody that... Uh, again, in terms of, this is like a lot, of, a lot of it's on the social media side, but some of it's just the community element. The forums at Sports Ethos are cooking again. So if you have questions specifically for, uh, pros, P-R-O-S, not P-R-O-S-E, not, you can write your questions as pros. You can write a poem if you want. Go to the, to the Sports Ethos forums at sportsethos.com slash community which is, I think, a nice fitting way, because those have been gone for a couple of years. I don't know if many of you remember what they used to be a few years back. Well, starting to cook again a little bit, which is kind of fun. So if you have questions, throw them in there. If you have thoughts, throw them in there. Please interact with one another. Let's create that, that sports ethos community that used to exist at Hoopball before the forums, frankly, got so complicated, no one could figure out where the hell to go, myself included. Again, a big thank you to those that have dropped five-star reviews on the pod as well. Philly in Washington. Joel Embiid missed this one with an illness, which, you know, I mean, this is like 
I guess when Embiid misses a game for a reason that's not injury, you can call that a baby-sized win. But it's been kind of a weird start to the year for Joel. He's ranked 40th in 9-cat. His free throw number is, I mean, per game is quite high, but percentage is down. Turnovers are up. Field goal percent is fine. Everything else really is kind of okay. Uh, But free throw where was a spot where he could kind of make his hay a little bit. There's just, like, something doesn't quite feel right with him, and maybe it's this illness, or maybe it's the plantar fasciitis they were talking about. Maybe there's some other stuff going on. I know there's maintenance days. Regardless, Philly won, which... You know, I guess that's good because they didn't win a bunch of games right at the outset of this season. They're starting to develop a little bit of chemistry, which I think you had to figure was going to take a moment. They're not bad. They're four and four now, so they've they've leveled off. Wizards now three and four, and they are a team that's competing this year. The Wizards want to try to win a little bit. James Harden was huge. 17 assists in this one. He just picked the Wizards' defense apart. Philly shot 56%. Anytime Joel Embiid sits, De'Anthony Melton moves into the starting lineup. I would ex- assume that that's actually going to be the case for anyone on the Sixers. And Melton has become a, 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 like a shimmering example of why you don't give up on a player after three games. Because he's now number 60 on Yahoo in 9-cat. And that's in 22 and a half minutes per ball game, which, I mean, he can get that off the bench. When Embiid sits, he's going to get bigger minutes, starters minutes. Then he could potentially go as high as top 50. And I know he's not blowing the roof off the building. 10 points, three boards, two assists, two steals per game on very good percentages. He's keeping the turnovers lower this year. He just, you know, efficiency-wise, he's made a big step forward. Some of that might come back a little bit. I mean, you know, 50-some-odd percent from the field. That's probably not going to stick. But he just looks comfortable. And Harden looks comfortable with no Embiid, but they're going to have to figure out how to make that thing work together because, like, that's how they are good. No other real notes on that game. Other than Tobias Harris, again, coming up with a crap ton of defensive stats. I don't know where all this came from, but he's number 42, largely because he has 2.4 combined defensive stats per game. He's a sell high. That number's not going to stick. Meanwhile, we were talking on uh, social, I think, about how Kristaps Porzingis sort of hadn't had that one really good game yet well he had it yesterday 32 points nine rebounds three threes two steals great shooting from the field he made all nine of his foul shots so now that's become a positive on the year one game that's all that took turn it from a negative into a positive driving the field goal percent turn that from a negative into a positive and now he's number 33 and he still hasn't really blocked any shots yet seven blocks in seven games is low for him you'd figure he'd be more between like 10 and 14 so kp Off to a really good start. Monte Morris, he'll be solid here while DeLon Wright is out because there just sort of isn't anybody pushing him. And then, you know, Bradley Beal, he's number 47. I think that's just kind of who he is now. I just think he's been kind of good to get to 47. There There may be an erosion there. Not that you would sell high on him, but just don't expect a whole lot more. Darren Fox uh, banged a knee here in this ballgame. He's got a knee situation going on. So Davion Mitchell got a whole bunch of extra run. He played 31 minutes. He's a stream if we find out Fox has to miss any additional time because Mitchell really is just sort of the straight backup point guard position. And then they just run the offense mostly through Demonis Sabonis and apparently through Kevin Herter, who had another stellar ballgame. Never in a million years did I think Kevin Herter was going to be a top 45 fantasy play after the first two weeks of the year, but here we are. 
Now, is he going to hit four three-pointers a game all season long? Probably not. Probably not. Is he going to shoot almost 50% while hitting four three-pointers a game? One of those is probably going to have to flex. But overall, he's really been excellent. Took the most shots on the team. He had effectively the highest usage of any like starters minutes or even large reserve minutes player on the club yesterday in a win. So they really like what he's doing. He's locked in. Uh, I only have him in like two places because I just sort of didn't believe it after that first game. But yeah, I mean, believe it now. Even if there is a drop-off, he's, he's going to be a standardly guy seemingly all season long. Um, top 50, probably not. Probably not. I mean, we have to kind of be real with ourselves. He's not going to stay that high. But still, it seems like he's going to make that jump from, you know, 125 range where he was in Atlanta to getting a little bit more going on, a little bit more involved. He has the confidence to be more involved. Or he's not kind of getting marginalized by Trey with the Hawks to, you know, maybe like 75 range kind of guy, 75, 85. 45, probably not. Over on the other side, the Dennis Smith Jr. mega stream continues. What an unbelievable start to the year he's had. He's number 39 in 9-cat now on the shoulders of three defensive stats per ball game. And again, that's a number that'll come down. 31 minutes per game is going to come down. Terry Rozier is going to slice a bunch off of his stuff. He might actually still stay inside the top 100 even after Rozier comes back, but he won't once LaMelo Ball's in there. I am... I feel pretty confident about that. Now, it's one of those things where I don't see any reason to drop him prematurely. You might as well see what Rozier looks like and what they look like together when Terry comes back. Because DSJ's been doing a really good job of kind of keeping the Hornets afloat. They're down their two best players right now. And Charlotte is still somehow 3-4 and four on the year. I know they lost this one, but, you know, it is what it is. Regardless, Dennis Smith Jr. has been... Kind of an engine. Six steals and a block in this ballgame. P.J. Washington was excellent as well. Jalen McDaniels continued his solid play. I've been benching Kelly Oubre mostly because of percentages. He seems to profile a bit better as a points league guy, shooting 41 from the field, 65 at the free throw line. That just won't get it done. That's like the asking, why isn't R.J. Barrett ranked higher? Well, I think you hold on to Oubre in case that stuff does come up a little bit, but... Right now, it isn't, and so I can't advocate a start. Mason Plumley, 28 minutes. He's not a pickup, but he has completely pushed Nick Richards off the, the radar, so you can stop worrying about Richards, at least for a little bit here. Uh, and Gordon Hayward, I'm mostly just waiting to see when his turnovers come down and his free throw percent settles to where it's supposed to be. This game actually kind of did that a little bit. Like, it wasn't a particularly good game for him overall, but his free throw percentage is now up to 80 and a half. His turnovers are under three. And so he's back inside the top 120. And basically, as soon as that stuff is where it's supposed to be, he'll be a top 80 guy. Folks, don't forget to prop up with our buddies over at Thrive Fantasy and the Thrive Fantasy app and thrivefantasy.com. For a limited time with promo code ETHOS, they will match your initial deposit up to $250. I think one of the things I didn't do a great job of on previous promo reads for our buddies over at Thrive is making it clear how easy it is. Because I'm like, look, you got to pick 10 props out of 20. And I bet a lot of you were like, oh my God, I got to look at 20 things. It's just a quick scroll. Picture it like looking at the top 20 on your fantasy board. 
Shea Gilgis Alexander through Terry Rozier right now. It's that easy. You just look at the name of who's playing on a given night. So, for instance, you look at tonight. I don't have the line in front of me, but if you look at the games that are happening here on what's generally kind of a quiet Tuesday, Brooklyn on the back-to-back. KD and Kyrie are going to have prop lines on Thrive. And you can be like, look, do I think he's going to go over or under? Is this going to be another big game for KD? Or is he going to finally have a game where he slows down a little bit? Easy. Jimmy Butler in the Miami game. Steph in the Warriors game. You look at the studs on the card, and you get to pick whether or not you think they're going to have a big or a quiet game. That's it. Okay? And the thing with 20 pick 10 means, like, if you don't have a great feel for... we. You know, Paolo or something. Paolo's playing tonight. If you don't know what Paolo's going to do, hey, I don't know how he's going to perform in this one. Skip it. Go to someone you have a better feel for. How's Chris Paul going to do? Do you think he's going to wake up in this one? Kyrie, do you think he's going to have a good ball? Like, if you have a feel for KD or if you have a feel for Cat or something like that, just gravitate to the ones you have a feel for. That's when the 10 out of, you know, 20 pick 10 thing is. Pick winners, win money. Over at Thrive Fantasy. And the beauty of that initial deposit match is that you don't even have to win all that often to turn that ghost cash into real cash. Thrive Fantasy and the Thrive Fantasy app prop up with promo code ETHOS. Get that deposit match and enjoy some profits today. Isaiah Jackson injured in Indiana's loss at Brooklyn, which is annoying because he's the backup center that you're absolutely hanging on to because you saw what he did when Miles Turner rested. And we've talked about this before, so we don't need to repeat ourselves. But Miles has basically asked his way out of town without doing so. I mean, going on a podcast, talk about why the Lakers should trade for him is, uh, I don't know, is that actually precedented? That might be unprecedented. Uh, and, and then Isaiah Jackson's just going to go completely buck wild. Chris Duarte was the actual story in this game. He had 30 points on 15 shots. Good luck replicating that. If you're going to pick him up, understand that his next ball game is probably going to be straight dookie uh, and be ready for that. Meanwhile, our buddy Jalen Smith has had a couple of clunkers in a row. The rebounding has tapered off. Now, to be fair, this is, I believe, the second time, is it in a row, that the Pacers have played uh, the Nets, or is it like the second time in, in three days or something like that? Basically, the Pacers have just been going after the Nets, and they beat them. Yeah, it was. It was a, it was a road, road back-to-back for Indiana. So... Should we be at all surprised that Jalen Smith is getting cooked by Kevin Durant? No, I don't think so. He had a couple of bad shooting games in a row. At least he had 14 rebounds in the previous one. So, yeah, his per-game ranking has fallen off a cliff. Unsurprisingly, after two games against Kevin Durant. I don't think we should overreact to when we understand what an opponent can do here. Because if you look at the other side, KD is just a behemoth. 36-9-7. 59% from the field in this ballgame, 8 of 8 at the free throw line, only two turnovers. KD was like number 17, doing mostly this. Now that you're seeing everybody else fall off to where they normally are and KD just still doing it, he's climbed up to number 4 now on a per-game basis behind Tatum, Curry, and Shea. Tatum's still shooting 56% from the field, by the way, if you're wondering why, how he's still number three. So he's about to taper off. Uh, so KD will move into the number three slot sort of by default. And maybe it happens tonight. I don't know. But at some point here, Tatum's going to have one of those three for 20 games. It's just inevitable. As good as he is, he's not a 56% guy from the field. That's like big man who only dunks field goal percent. 
And then presumably Shea will miss a free throw at some point, but who knows? Maybe not. Steph is the only guy in that group where I'm like, yeah, you know what? This dude could stay here. Because Steph is really damn good, and he's shooting 47% instead of 43 and that was really all we were looking for if he was going to take that jump back into the top three again. I do, however, assume that Nikola Jokic is going to catch these dudes. He's number eight right now. Uh, mostly because he just isn't taking that many shots. And I, maybe he does, Maybe he doesn't this year because he has guys around him that can score a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, that's the only way that Jokic doesn't catch these dudes. Uh, in any event, we don't have to worry too much about the top of the board. Kyrie Irving had a big ball game as well. Uh, he now sits at number six on a per-game basis. He and KD have played in all seven games so far this year for Brooklyn, so either way, uh, massive, massive values on those guys. Kyrie, as loony as he may be, has uh, been quite good for fantasy this year. Nick Claxton, 19-9 with four blocks. Really nice ball game there. Only had to try to take two free throws, which is a really big deal because that pushed him back up to the edge of the top 100, and he's been quite good in everything except foul shooting, where he is the worst in the NBA. He's redefining punt free throw right now at 39%. Nick, just close your eyes and granny that bad boy. 39% is unacceptably awful. You could make two arguments on the Claxton front. You could say buy low and assume that his, his free throw percent gets up to 50. Or you could just say, look, like, if you're worried about your free throw percent and you can't cover up what Claxton's doing, then sell after a big ball game like this and just try to move him for someone else in like the 90 range and then you don't have a free throw thing. Now you're going to lose blocks, quite a bit of them. You got to make sure you can cover for that, but I don't know. I guess the question really here is, is he doing more in blocks for you than he is hurting you in free throws? And so far this year, the answer is... No, but it's not that far off. A couple names to keep an eye on on the Brooklyn side as well. Joe Harris played 29 minutes. I know he only had seven points on six shots. He did have three steals, but that's not a sustainable number for him. The question is, as he gets rolling here, does he somehow work his way up to like 11, 12 shots per ball game? And who does it come from? KD or Kyrie? Somehow I doubt it. And then Royce O'Neal, still got nine shots up, eight and eight with five assists, a steal block, and two three-pointers. That's a really good fantasy line. He's continuing to just quietly punch along at a pretty good clip, 37 minutes again. So, so far, nobody's taken his minutes away. We'll keep an eye on it, sort of a perpetual eye on that situation. But for now, Royce O'Neal remains a guy that needs to be in starting lineups. Atlanta got blown out by a Toronto team missing Freddie Van Fleet. That's not a great look for the Hawks, who are still doing fine. They're 4-3. and three. Raptors actually equaled them with this victory. But, you know, the Hawks were just bad. Trey Young was terrible. 10 turnovers and, what did he go, like 3 for 13 from the field or something like that? Absolutely awful game for Trey Young. Um, and this is why he's always kind of a scary proposition, particularly in 9-cat, because that one game dropped him from the teens down to 38. He's not going to shoot 39% for the year. He's probably going to get more than .4 steals. But again, this was one of the concerns with DeJounte Murray coming to town. What would happen if Trey Young tapered off in his usage in any way? Now, it hasn't really happened yet, but you know, do we start to see a situation where DeJounte Murray becomes the better player? It's conceivable. John Collins fouled out in 29 minutes. He had 12 and 12. He's predictably fallen off from that first round start. He's number 27 now. 
So, uh, you know, I mean, again, he's a good guy that could stay in the 40 range. He might not fall all the way back to 60. So if you can get something for him, I think you still should fire for that neighborhood. But people have probably seen these last couple of slower games, and likely they've reacted to them. On the Toronto side, the news there, Chris Boucher, once again, very good when a Raptor is missing. I know uh, Christian Coloco got the start, and actually was pretty good, other than missing his free throws. He had a couple of blocks. Uh, but Boucher's always the guy who steps in when a Raptor's missing. At 11 and 3, two steals, a block, and a three-pointer. Efficient. You're not adding him unless we know someone's out in advance, which, of course, that's the tough part because he is typically kind of a late news streamer because a lot of Raptors are game-time decisions that get ruled out. The other news on this one, OG Ananobi. Someone on Twitter was like, hey, what's wrong with OG Ananobi when he was number 70? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like eight slots from his ADP. He's doing fine, and he hasn't even played well yet. And then he had a huge game, and now he's number 30. So that probably, I don't think anybody's too worried about that anymore. Milwaukee, oh, some, somehow hanging on to beat the Detroit Pistons. This was a game where the Bucks very clearly were kind of, you know, not worried about it. They are now 6-0 because of Brooke Lopez, who had 24-9. Two blocks, two three-pointers. Brolo, Brooke Lopez, the last name. No, second to last name. Sorry, Kelly Olynyk was the last name on the old man squad. Brooke Lopez, the second to last name on the old man squad. An ADP of like 134 is ranked number 11. Right at this moment, he is the best pick in fantasy sports. Is that the craziest thing? I mean, I know we liked him, but I liked him at 130 to, well, finishing like the 80 to 100 range. It's like, oh, sure, this guy's going to plunk along. going to be fine. He's going to get his blocks. Bucks love what he does. He'll play 27 minutes of ball game. He's healthy again. It's going crazy. Brooke Lopez is playing 32 minutes a night right now. And he is just crushing people. That's pretty amazing. Drew Holiday, he's woken up. Two huge games in a row now. He's number 25, so that by-low window is long gone. And then Boyan Bogdanovich, another good game. Signed an extension, kept on rolling. He's number 22. And an impossible sell high. Same story as Brooke Lopez. I, like, I think you're going to probably see some analysts say sell high on Bogdanovich and Brooke Lopez. And in the, sh in the short term, they're very right about that. The problem, I think, is that no one's going to believe it. Two weeks isn't enough to convince people that Brooke Lopez is a top 50 guy after a couple of seasons where he was more like top 80, top 90. It's just not. You need a longer stretch of him being very, very good, or at least, like, let's talk on November 18th when we're a month into the season, and if Brooke Lopez is still inside the top 40, at that point, you might be able to say to somebody, look, like, hey, this guy is not a 90-range dude anymore. Now he's a 60-range dude, and you got to pitch that. But you need more evidence. And same story for Bogdanovich. Boyan has been that 100-range guy before. On the Pacers a few years back, he was that. Utah, he wasn't. He wasn't as involved on the Jazz. And, like, whatever they were doing there was sort of not great for fantasy purposes outside of Donovan Mitchell, basically. And Gobert, I guess. But it was just like a lot of guys standing out at the three-point line. Bogdanovich is getting the foul line a bit more. That's one area where he can have a really nice positive impact. And he didn't get a ton of that in Utah. Uh, but he's there four and a half times a game right now, shooting mid-90s. Again, not going to stay at 22 all season long, but everybody knows that. That's the problem with this type of sell high, is that you're you're pitching it to someone who's like, I don't believe what I've seen so far. 
The only way you're going to get away with this, someone needs to believe it. So it needs to happen a little bit longer, or you need to explain something to them, or you need to show them film that's like, look, this is what's different. Yeah, Bogdanovich, he's not going to shoot 53% with four three-pointers a game. We just had this conversation on, like, though we were talking about earlier in the show. I don't remember. Tatum can fall into that category, too. That type of thing's just not going to stick. The other stuff is sort of sticky. You know, he's going to score. He's going to get to the foul line. He's going to make those foul shots. He's not doing anything defensively, which is an historical pattern for him. So you're just looking at the field goal percent. So maybe the, the, the pitch to someone is, look, field goal percent comes down. Let's say it comes down to 48. That still keeps him in the 50-60 range. Perhaps you can convince them of that. And I think if you could do that, you should. I just think a lot of it will be easier if these guys can do it for a few more games. You'll just have a much simpler time when you take this information into trade court and try to plead your case. I don't know what happened with Memphis in this one, other than the fact that the Jazz are actually not nearly as terrible as folks thought. Utah was such... We talked about season win totals back in August, remember? Those that you listened in the offseason. And the note there was you wanted to bet the under on their first number with the expectation that they would continue to trade pieces away. And then after that, you bet the over. Because season win totals almost always swing too far when a superstar is either added or removed from the equation. Almost always. Not every time. Almost. Nothing is 100%. Are the Jazz going to slow down at some point this year? Absolutely. They're not going to win 75% of their games. Uh, getting a 6-2 and two stretch into the mix here right out of the gates bodes well for them saying, hey, maybe we should just go ahead and like try to make a run at a play-in spot or an actual playoff spot. I believe that dog days will hit. They'll go on like a seven or eight game losing streak at some point because like they have pros on this team, but they're still relatively young and teams are going to start to figure out what they're doing. And Laurie Markin is probably not going to be a second rounder the entire season. He's number 16 again. But like for now, they're winning and that's actually really good. I, I've seen the argument that it's quite bad because then they're going to be like, oh no, we have to tank even harder. I think winning a little bit is actually good. They're going to just like... Let it ride. Hey, I forgot to tell you yesterday, but I am not forgetting to tell you today. Promo code ETHOS20. Get yourself 20% off and free shipping on your order over at manscaped.com. Get some sleek boxers, if you like. The shears, the luxury nail kit. That's That's gotten a whole lot of thumbs up from family members over here. I've been informed that I need to tell you repeatedly how great the luxury nail kit is from Manscaped. Everybody seems to like it in this household. You can also just get the the Big Whopper, the Platinum Package 4.0, the Performance Package 4.0. It's got the lawnmower. It's got the Weed Whacker. These are silly names. I'll just tell you what they are. Lawnmower is the Sideburn Trimmer, Weed Whacker, Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer. It's got uh, lotions, shaving gels, boxers, shaving mats, travel bags, all the goodies in there, which those are actually discounted on their own because they're in a package. I think they're like 40% off, actually, the individual prices if you add them all together. You can get another 20% off and free shipping with promo code ETHOS20. It's been a lot of fun to work with Manscaped all these years. This is the third season in a row they've been a partner here at Fantasy NBA Today. So check them out today, manscaped.com, promo code ethos Twenty. Or, if you want to go throwback style, the promo code HOOPBALL20 still works over there. 20% off free shipping, manscaped.com.
Markinen's been awesome. Conley with this so more solid shooting game. He'll have a few of those because his shooting percentage was way down this year. He's moving back into that 80-some-odd range. Vanderbilt's been fine. Kelly Olynyk fouled out, but he picked up a bunch of defensive stats, so that's fine. Jordan Clarkson had a bad shooting game, but otherwise he's been pretty good overall this year. Um, that's really what's holding him back. For some reason, Clarkson can't make his free throws this season. I don't know what the hell that's all about. I know he was not great at the foul line, but he's been worse than typical. The actual news from this ball game, other than Utah winning again, Desmond Bain had to sit it out on the Memphis side. John Conchar got the start and was uh, basically non-existent. Steven Adams and Brandon Clark both ended up hurt by the end of the night, so Memphis lost two centers in the middle of that ballgame. And does that mean that Xavier Tillman is on the board as a possible streamer? Yeah, I guess so. I'm not going to do anything about it until we learn more, but, you know, he's on the map. And then on the Utah side, Colin Sexton... Still got 24 minutes with Conley back. And I thought that that was something that we wanted to watch going into this ballgame because Sexton had been pretty much stuck between 16 and 20. And the indication was that they were kind of keeping him in check. Didn't want to push him too hard. He's coming off the giant surgery and a, and a year-long rehab. And then Conley sat out the front end of a back-to-back, -back, and Sexton played 30 minutes. So then you're like, okay, well, maybe, like, are they starting to take the restrictor plates off a little bit? This 24-minute outburst is both good and bad. It's good because it's higher than the number he was playing in uh, the previous games with Conley around. It's bad because it's lower than a, like, a full workload. So what does that mean we do with Colin Sexton? I only have him on one team. He wasn't someone that I was targeting this year, uh... Now, again, like, when you're taking guys coming off of a season-ending injury, it needs to be a guy who has huge ceiling. Like, Jamal Murray is the better example, or Michael Porter Jr. in Denver. Because those guys, when they're right, you know, Jamal is top 40, MPJ was in the 20 range when he was right. When Colin Sexton was right in Cleveland, he was still only, like, an 80 to 120 range dude. So the ceiling is not that high. But if you got to, like, pick 115 and... He was still on the board, and you're like, all right, I may maybe done some points a little bit late in the draft. That's a guy you might have looked at. So if you got stuck with him anywhere, if you drafted him anywhere, if you were aggressive about him, again, I have him in one spot. I'm holding on because we've seen the minutes trending up for him. Hasn't been a smooth line, but they are trending the right way, and you get him to like 27, 28 minutes, he can be a decent late contributor. But we're pretty close to it now. And the Clippers somehow, some way... Paul George is actually the somehow, some way managed to fend off Houston. Uh, Clippers blew a lead. Paul George scored the final five points, a three-pointer and a, a baseline J, I think, that ended up giving them the win. And then he had, it's a bit line of the night, 35, 9, and 8, six steals, two blocks, five three-pointers, 15 for 26 from the field. But he did miss his free throw. Come on, Paul. Come on, Paul. Make the free throw. If he eats the Zubots, you got good Zoo in this one after a couple of games of bad Zoo. He is, like, there are very few players in the NBA right now that have been as stat line inconsistent as he eats the Zubots, but he's somehow leveled off near 60 for the moment. I still think he slides back towards 90 over the course of the year because the blocks are obscenely high, and Houston is a team that gets blocked a lot, but he was good in this one. Norman Powell was not. That was another player we were watching to see what he would do 
consistently without Kawhi? Could he be a guy that we can confidently plug in anytime Kawhi Leonard takes a game off? And it's going to happen the rest of the year, quite a few times. But at some point here, Kawhi's going to play. And I think at that point, Norman Powell is completely off the map. And even now when he's sitting, it's not a guarantee because Norman had two good games in a row, now a bad one. And, you know, I don't know what the percentage ends up being here. Like, I guess there's going to be Paul George took way more shots than usual because he was hot and they needed him to. Under normal circumstances, PG probably closer to like 21, 22 shots in this game. And does Powell get two of those missing ones? Maybe. I don't know. That's asking a lot. I'm leaning towards just kind of moving on. I don't think Norman's going to have a great season. He's a guy that I didn't target anywhere. And one of the lessons, remember, we talked about going into the year was don't draft guys that are in a position battles. Sometimes it works, but a lot of times you end up going, ugh, why did I do this? And he was one of those guys. You're like, oh, okay, Norman Powell, he's going to be battling Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Luke Kennard, Nick Batum, Terrence Mann, all these guys for touches on the wing. Not a whole lot of hope there. Sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? Well, he had a couple of decent ball games mixed in, but overall he's been quite bad. Uh, so I think you can probably move on. There's just more interesting stuff out there. You're not picking up Luke Kennard, a 10-rebound game. Come on, don't, you know, let's let's not get crazy. And then on the other side, um, Eric Gordon is interesting. And interesting is about the nicest word I can use to describe it because he's he's the veteran leader on that team. And he's going to take one half of a back-to-back off every single time. First one, he skipped the second half of the back-to-back. This time he skipped the first half of the back-to-back. So he's a really hard guy to use on the head-to-head side. There's a small argument to be made that he could be played in Roto, but he's number 133 right now, despite shooting way above his career mark. He's at 48% from the field. That's a number that's likely to come down. His assists are at 3.3. That's probably coming down. One and a half combined defensive stats. That might even come down a little bit. I'm inclined to just say, don't bother. Alperin Shangun was a little bit better in this one. Again, he's been quietly, slightly improved after a couple of really tough ones to begin the year. He's at number 84 on the season now. I think there is a hope that he would just pile up like all of the counting stats, but it hasn't quite been that way. One thing that's been nice for him, though, he is shooting 56% from the field. So that's been good. K.J. Martin had a good ball game. He's a guy that, you know, we've talked about him on the show before. He's not a pickup, uh, and he's frankly not that close. But every once in a while, he gets into these little grooves. And I do wonder if the Rockets ever kind of turn to him as a more permanent something. They don't really have a great spot for him because Jabari Smith is the starting power forward. They got Jalen Green uh, and Eric Gordon kind of also in the in the wing department. Kevin Porter Jr. is the starting point guard. That's not going anywhere. So, I, you know, I don't know how K.J. Martin fits in all of this unless Eric Gordon gets moved out of the way. And even if that, like, I think Garrison Matthews is the guy who got the start when Gordon sat, but overall you're like, okay, well, then at least there's a place where you could move bodies around. In this one, K.J. just got hot, so he got some extra run. He's more of a streamer right now. Get him in a good scheduling spot. You can drop him in there. Otherwise, nope. And then as far as the young guys go, and maybe we should have started the podcast with this, the the rookies, after looking great 
or the young guys, maybe I should just say the young guys in the NBA looked amazing for like the first two games and they've all now been clubbed by efficiency issues. Every single damn one of them has been clubbed with some sort of efficiency issue. Except Keegan Murray. He's the only one. 49% from the field, 86% at the free throw line. Keegan's number 93. And he is the one, He look, to be fair to all of the analysts, myself included, he's the one that everybody was like, this is the, this is the rookie that has the best path to value because he has decent percentages. He carries those over from college. We don't have to worry about him becoming a punt guy in any one particular thing. Even Paolo, who's just roaring through the counting stats at the moment, has been so brutally awful in the efficiency stuff that he's at 103. Eight and a half free throws a game at 73%. Brutal. 17 shots at 44%. Brutal. But everything else has been great. So if you're playing in a points league, he's, you know, league winner type of thing. But nine cat, those percentages really matter. Benedict Matherin's actually been pretty damn good. He's at 46% from the field, so that one hasn't crushed you very much. His problem has been he really hasn't done much besides just scoring, so he's at 104. And then the story is actually tougher for most of the other ones. We were just talking about Jabari Smith. He's at 127 for the Rockets. A lot of these guys probably improve. Paolo likely improves his field goal percent later in the year. You see that with young guys that are handling the ball a lot. Their shot selection gets better. Uh, I don't know if Matherin's field goal percent gets better. I think he's been... It's probably about what you'd expect from him so far. This might just kind of be what he is. Jabari Smith is not going to shoot 32.5% all season long. So, like, technically that would make him a buy low. But I also think that there's a problem... Kind of like we talked about Boyan Bogdanovich and Brooke Lopez. I don't think people believe those that drafted, say, Jabari Smith or Paolo or whoever. They drafted them with the expectation, I would assume, that this isn't what was going to be happening. So, like, if someone took Jabari Smith at 80-something, I think that's where he was going right before the season started. I don't remember his ADP, but that's pretty close to where he was going towards the end. Like... Someone's going to be, I think, a little bit more married to it. I'm taking a chance on this guy. I'm excited about this guy. They're probably not going to punt on him two weeks into the season, especially when his shortcoming is so obvious. He's shooting 32% from the field on 12 shots a ballgame. That number is just going to magically improve on its own. And then the other stuff for Smith is fine. So if you have him, hold on. If you don't, See if you can buy on him basically for someone right around where he was drafted. So if you drafted someone at 85 who's performing kind of right in that area, that's the guy to maybe consider dumping out there. Like P.J. Washington, he was drafted right after Jabari Smith, maybe like 10 to 15 slots later, but he's been better so far this year. Maybe that's a guy you send out. Although, look, P.J.'s probably going to have a pretty good season, so maybe that's not the best example. Um... I don't know. There actually aren't a ton of great options like between 70 and 85. You could look at Anthony Simons, maybe Gary Trent, who's probably not going to get much better than about 70 range this year. If you wanted to go Keegan Murray, I think he probably gets better, so I probably, I don't know if I'd do that. Clint Capella would be an interesting one. He was drafted in front, but this is probably 
the number for Clint this year, 26 to 27 minutes a game. He's probably going to be in the 90 range. So there are a few names out there that might pair up that have enough name value where you could go and get Jabari Smith. Maybe you could get him for Benedict Matherin. I would. Matherin's been better so far this year, but Smith has the stats to go way higher as the season wears on. So that's something to consider. And I guess that brings us to the end of yesterday. And, um, yeah, you know, we'll do the nightly preview over on social media. I got to get back to making sure that everything's okay on the home front. So we'll go a little shorter on today's show. Uh, thank you so much for listening, everybody. And thank you again to everyone that dropped a five-star review on the pod that helped me kind of uh, push some two or three-star reviews down. You guys are very funny to uh, come along for this very, very odd journey. Um, please do continue to do so if you have a moment. Podcast app on your mobile device. iTunes, if you're using a PC like an old person like myself, uh, would very much appreciate it. And again, it's at Dan Vespers over on Twitter. I will talk to you over there. Hey, if you want to cover a team, reality, not fantasy. If you want to cover a team, if you've got a team that you love, you've been following for 25, 35, 45 years, whatever it is, and you think you can cover them uh, as an analyst, hit me up. We're always looking for folks like that too. At Dan Vespers on Twitter or email roster at sportsethos.com. We'll see you on social media or the forums over at Sports Ethos. Have a great Tuesday. Until tomorrow.